Welcome to the Fast Casual QSR Web and Pizza Marketplace Podcast. Welcome to our podcast, Soylaic, the future of a healthier food system. I'm your host, Mandy Detweiler, the site editor for QSR Web and Pizza Marketplace. Today, our speaker is going to be Brian Stobaugh, Missouri Soybean Association and Missouri Soybean Merchandising Council Director of Licensing and Commercialization. Brian, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thanks, Mandy, for having us on. Um, my name is Brian Stobaugh. I grew up in central Arkansas on a a row crop farm of rice, beans, and corn. I ended up traveling up north to Fayetteville to get my degree in genetics, which is actually in soy. But my uh, my claim to fame and pull into the world of regulatory and how things worked, I was a regulatory scientist out west for a pesticide chem company and then made my trek back east to here in Missouri to where I was uh, taking over to, to look at the portfolio for Soy Lake, which was the major part, but uh, that is a little bit of the history. Uh, so I've had a little bit of experience out west and then central Texas and then up to here in Missouri. But overall, it's all been in crop genetics. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into our topic today. What are Soy Lake soybeans? Well, uh, Soy Lake soybeans, the easiest way to describe it is a high oleic, low linolenic, soybean that was created through natural discovery and traditional breeding here in Southeast Missouri at the breeding location uh, where uh, two, uh, a professor that was uh, a Mizzou professor, University of Missouri professor, found that trait and worked with the USDA scientists to go through and map that allele and get that patented. So it's a patented non-GMO high oleic trait that was discovered there here in Missouri through checkoff dollars, which is where I work for the Missouri Soybean Merchandising Council for the farmers of Missouri. And there was a funded research project through their, through their um, research portfolio. How are they discovered and what makes them non-GM? So how are they discovered and what makes them non-GM? Um, the, the best way to describe that is how are they discovered? A breeder takes a look and when he's looking at varieties and picking the lines that'll go forward for the next year into the crossing and how that traditional breeding works of looking at one plant and one variety's attributes to another. And he made a simple cross, you know, took one, one plant that would have a dominant trait to express and see what that came out in the end. When he did that um, through oil testing and oil evaluation of that crop, the fatty acid profile had increased the oleic composition. So he went back to work, went back to work the next season in the field. And, um, and over time realized that there was something translating in this combination of these two parents and kept back crossing. So taking the parent and back crossing it to the new offspring and those new offspring resulted in this high oleic trait being expressed. And, um, and that's how the discovery simply happened. The hard part is, is then trying to figure out in explaining that to everyone, we hear so much about around the world of what is a, a biotechnology, what is a gene edit. You know, those are things where you're looking at a crop and you're taking and doing a precise and exact location change um, through through bacteria, through a vector of some sort, a piece that's moving the genetics, or through gene edits where you're taking ex an ex explicit piece and removing it in a gene edit uh, to align the alleles. So in in a traditional breeding concept, which is what Soy Lake was discovered, it was done in the field. It was done by simple crossing, simple scientific work, statistical analysis, and figuring out what was the probability that this would happen again, and going back to the field and making that cross and finding out that, yes, high oleic did exist in these two, two crosses that he had made. 
Can you describe the process to commercialization? Yes. So um, when I came on in 2017, we were we were working through that. We were trying to build the portfolio, trying to understand and go forward. Right now, we have developed many varieties going forward. Um, we're in the essence of 12 to 15 varieties that are out there commercially present for everyone to uh, have access to. There are about seven to eight new varieties coming up the pipeline. These, when I say coming up the pipeline, these lines are approved, they're ready to go. They meet the quality assurance and quality control standards, the same as the ones that are commercially produced right now, Mandy. But what they're doing is we have to ramp the seat up. When we're, the space we work in and the licensees we work with are not in, um, but not in large scale because non-GM market is usually anywhere from six to 8% of the overall soybean market in the United States based on USDA statistics. Overall, those stats have been consistently saying right at 6%. So we're not talking a lot, but what Soylaic provides is that non-GM aspect for when a customer asks for something different, that is different than what is already in the mainstream. And that's what we have accomplished with the same um, background and the same ability. Um, we have been growing this portfolio and growing these varieties with these 13 licensees. Uh, 12 of these licensees are domestic. We have one licensee over in Italy. So uh, we are working internationally. Um, and we have that ability to do that because it is a non-GM. We don't have to worry about that regulated hurdle that sometimes we see with other crops. So it does allow us to mix and match and move into locations and export the crop into certain spots. So that is what's really neat about Soy Lake. But moving that commercial space, really focusing on supply and demand and how we can parallel that process, looking at increasing supply, increasing demand at the same time to where we don't overextend ourselves in supply and have too much or overextend ourselves in demand. What's changed recently though, um, is the world around us and the, um, the political world and a drought, uh, the drought in the Western Canada has changed the hyaluronic canola market. And we've seen a decrease in overall hyaluronic canola. And what, what is commercialization has changed for us as well is the hyaluronic sunflower market. Our uh, farmer friends and allies in Ukraine that have been farming hyaluronic sunflower over there for many years are not going to be producing and or exporting as much hyaluronic sunflower as they had in the past due to their circumstances politically and um, in the product and the processes they're going through right now. So what we're seeing is the demand for hyaluronic, not only the GMO, but the non-GMO of soy lake is rising and filling in that gap for what was already a market share of hyaluronic oil. So it's that's that commercial plan and, you know, gathering more licensees and putting this in, into the hands of, of users all around the world. Where can these beans be planted? The approach we took was quite different. Um, we worked with all of our public universities and a couple private companies that really honed in on specific traits and proteins, as well as adaptability for farmers to have access to this. So what was the neat part was that we started here in Missouri and created this portfolio, but we did not stop there. We, the majority groups are what we call the, the lifeline of soybeans. So soybeans start in maturity group zero up in Canada to a triple zero, even further north into Canada, but they come all the way down to a growing season of seven, which is the maturity group seven down in Southern Georgia. When you take a look at that overall, um, that is basically seven maturity groups in the United States. That's northern part of Minnesota, <clears throat> all the way down to Georgia. 
when we look at that, we have, we have varieties in every maturity group because we worked with our public universities. We worked with United soybean funded dollars to help assist and put that into other universities, as well as working with private companies that can breed and breed specialty soybean and putting high lake in those beans as well. So we've spread that across as many maturity groups and to get into many, as many hands as we can to farmers across the United States. What leads to further use of the end product like oil and meal from soylaic soybeans? So what leads further? You know, the, the further aspect is, is that the non-GM plays a, a big piece of this. It, it makes the oil and it makes the meal different. And that different aspect is what customers look at. Sometimes we like to say, Mandy, it's a, a social shopper and that social shopper, as they shop down that aisle, they hear and read things and they want to have options and the availability of options when they shop down that aisle, uh, whether it be online or in the local grocery or local market near them. So applying that ability to have that non-GM, which Soylaic does, and then the ability for that non-GM meal to then be used. And when I say meal, that's M-E-A-L. I have an accent from Arkansas. Please don't get confused with M-I-L-L, but that M-E-A-L, which is the protein source from the leftover crushed bean. We have the oil set aside as non-GM. Now we can take that meal and we can take the meal and we can use it to feed our animals. We can use it to feed human. We can use it as an external protein source for ourselves and for that animal. And what that translates to is the, the versatility of a sustainable crop grown right here in the United States, which is what we take pride in with soybean and what soy lake provides is that ability to go into these, these many functions and be able to be fed and to be used as a cooking agent. Can you describe what is being done to identify the crops grown in the U S today? Yeah, so uh, what, what we really like to focus on when we take a look at this is how, um, how crops are grown sustainable. <clears throat> we have partners that work on this daily and work on that with our export through identity preservation. We like to call it IP. Some people uh, get say, well, it could be other names, yes, but identity preservation is a positive way of saying it, um, and it's not a um, secluded way. Identity preservation means from the day that soybean bag is made and brought into the seed, brought into a bag, goes into a farmer's planter, goes into the field, harvest to the truck, to the elevator, to the crush facility. It is tracked every bit of the way. That identity preservation ensures that the quality of the soybean is there, the purity of the soybean is there, and that the high oleic Pro, uh, part is there as well. Not only do we have high oleic in there, we have low linolenic that uh, enables that stability, which gets us a little bit across the board on, on overall stability of the oil in the end. So we have that combination, but identity preservation is the, the complete encompassing fact of the whole matter. And that's what takes from the day the seed is developed all the way until the day the seeds harvested and crushed. Time has been of the essence to create healthier oils. Can you explain why the process took longer to bring soylaic soybeans to market as compared to, say, others growing high oleic soybeans? For sure. What took so long? Well, not only are there uh, financial hurdles, there are also hurdles when we look at traditional breeding. When we go back to what I discussed earlier about biotech and gene edits, we know exactly where we're going and exactly what we're changing in the seed 
to give us a specific outcome. Um, when you take a look going forward at what traditional breeding is, we're crossing two plants. We have a lot of genes and a lot of, of spots on the DNA chain that can interact and create a new type of offspring. So finding the trait that is dominant and expresses the high oleic was the first goal. The first plants were showing high oleic at a lower level, not above 75% high oleic content. Some of them were much lower. So when they kept breeding, they would get it to increase over time. And that's when they got it to above 75, which checked the mark of being a true high oleic soybean above 70 and above 75%. Overall, that takes a lot of time and effort. Once we figured out what soybean variety could be the donor of the high oleic gene, and we were able to move that into many portfolios and many universities for breeding, that's when we could expand further and at a much speedier rate. But getting the genes established, settled, and set takes much longer time. And for us to develop a quality um, comparison to com soybean varieties across the country right now, it's 10 to 12 growing cycles. By the time we get all of the, all of the, the genetics tested, get every, everything of, about that being mapped according to disease package and yield package. Um, and then we have to take a look at what it does in yield year over year in multiple environments. It just takes several growing seasons and those growing seasons can be done in the winter nursery and we can speed them up overall calendar year. But growth years, it still is about eight to 10 when we're working in this traditional breeding crop world of, uh, of non-GMO creation like we saw with soy lake. It just takes us a little bit longer because we're dealing with so many genes and not knowing exactly where that precise point was until they figured that out. Then they could use that as the donor to go forward and speed up the process. What's the one thing you want people to know about soy lake? Well, the one thing we want them to know, um, Mandy, it's just that there is an option out there. Um, we have an option to go forward. Um, we see a lot of our, our export market for Europe, Southeast Asia, um, some of those in the Middle East that are very interested in um, our products as a whole, soybean as a whole in the United States. But what they're also interested in is providing their population and their people the non-GM option. And that's where we see Soy Lake taking a fit um, and taking a liking to. As well here in the United States, we're seeing the same thing as our social shopper, like I said earlier, that shops um, not only online, but shops right down the aisle. They are looking for options. They are looking for options. And when you look at a product that has grown here in the United States, sustainably grown, where we're watching every conscious effort of water and soil and our environment around us, as well as a product that that is just versatile. Soy is versatile. It can be used in so many things. And that, that shopper is looking for that, that ability to find something that compares and soy is a lot cheaper in price point than per se, some of our high performing, high quality oils, but we'll have the same attributes as those oils when cooked or used when cooking, you know, you can look at some of the fatty acid profiles for soy lake, and you will see those align with our high quality olive oils, our high quality canolas and our high quality sunflower. It's providing that option for a product that it's grown year over year, right here domestically in the United States, 
by the smartest stewards of the land, uh, ladies and gentlemen that work every year to ensure that that crop is passed on to feed and a crop that is giving to the next generation to grow in more soybean and grow in more alternative crops to help feed our nation and the nations around us. Well, it sounds like it's a great alternative. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us today.